Um, I know that on our end of things, that um, Mike doesn't know the behind-the-back trick. I'm going to teach him that later. All right. Um, I know on our end of things that that's a lot of bullet lists and numbers and percentages. Um, but on the other end of this, man, th- these are people. These are names, you know. And some of you who have been on some of these trips have witnessed, man, what is happening and, um, and I'm very touched by those of you who are giving your time and your energy and your effort to engage in this because it is a reality that on the other end of this, man, lives are being transformed. Um, what Gil is doing down at Casa de la Esperanza, that's just one example of this, but it's happening through all over the, uh, out the world this morning. And it's happening here this morning. Um, he, he left, so I get to embarrass him. And that's what happens if you leave church. Um, <laughs> Skyler was here this morning. Um, and, uh, man, I've just been so moved by God's transformation in his life. Uh, Skylar, we met in our homeless ministry in the park, man, and we bring food, and, we, and we're there to serve people. And, and this morning, Skylar comes to church with donuts, and he comes up here and says, I just want to serve. I want to do something small. And you know how big that was? Uh, you know, to me, that was a very big deal. In fact, it made my day to see that level of servitude, what God is doing in, in, in people's lives, and just keeping that fresh. Um, I'm going to be, um, I'm going to begin in the book of Malachi chapter four. And so I want to invite you to go ahead and, uh, and open up to Malachi, uh, chapter four. Um, a lot of times, you know, you're, you're in your Bible and, and you feel like, well, back then it was a period of miracles, you know, seas are parted, walls fall, angels appear, the dead are raised, the blind have the, you know, are, their, their eyes are opened. But today, no, today we're just in a period where sermons are about history and that's what happened back then. Um, but it's not that way at all. In fact, when you're in the Bible, just the jump from the book of Genesis to the book of Exodus, think about this. Genesis, Exodus, it just rolls off the tongue. 400 years separate these two books. Generations were, came and went. We went, these are people living in a period of darkness and slavery who didn't even have Bibles. They didn't have, you know, the Torah. They didn't have these things. They just had stories of Adam and Eve, of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had, they had stories maybe of Joseph, the hero that he was, Judah, Reuben, and Gad, and Asher, and these guys. They would tell these stories. But 400 years go by in darkness until finally God's voice comes um, from a glowing bush somewhere on Horeb. Let my people go. Go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Um, Tell the people that they don't need to fight. They only need to be still. I'm going to fight for them. And God comes and the voice of God is heard after 400 years. After the close of the book of Malachi... Um, David Wheaton, his sermon recently, I, I liked what he, he, he talked about horizontal, horizontal Bible inches and how far one verse was from another. And I realized this is a vertical Bible inch, but how far the close of Malachi is from the opening of Matthew and how it picks up just seamlessly when you're just reading through it and, and how Matthew, Mark and Luke in particular just they dovetail right into the book of Malachi, and it's beautiful what they're going to do with these prophecies. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But this is what's happened in that time period. Um, an entire kingdom, an entire empire has come in God. Alexander the Great went throughout the empire, naming every city after himself. 
<laughs> and this is an actual map of Greece. Uh, this is not a joke. This is actually what it looked like. He went and named 20-plus cities Alexandria. And the most famous one is in Egypt. But Alexander the Great, um, he, he, he didn't have problems with self-image. He, he thought highly of himself with a copy of the Iliad under his, his pillow and a sword. He went and conquered the world. Um, the, the, the world was Hellenized. In the time period of these 400 years, kingdoms have risen and fallen. His kingdom was divided between his four generals, Ptolemy, Seleucus, Cassander, Lysimachus. The Sadducees, Pharisees, Essenes, and Zealots, all of these groups are formed. The, the Jewish scriptures are translated into Greek. We call that the Septuagint. The Library of Alexandria is formed, the Phoros Lighthouse. The Seleucid dynasty, the Ptolemaic dynasty, Antiochus for Epiphanes, the Maccabean revolt, the Hasmonean period. Most of these things, if you went to um, Harding or a Bible college, you might be familiar with some of these things. Most of us are like, I have no clue what those things are. Massive periods in history that transformed culture. Civil war broke out between the Sadducees and Pharisees. 600 Pharisees were crucified on the walls and on the roads leading to Jerusalem. A period of darkness in that land. Where the, the, what, the city that was called to be the light of the world, Jerusalem, became a city of great darkness. And no place was darker in Jerusalem than the temple grounds itself. Herod had the temple reconstructed, Zerubbabel's temple, reconstructed and dedicated to his own name, Herod's temple. He built a wall called the Soric around the temple. It had a sign on it that said, if you're an alien or a stranger or a foreigner, you will be killed if you come past this wall. That is what they turned the temple of God into. That's what Jerusalem had become, a city of extreme darkness. The Roman period, the Hasmonean dynasty, Herod, a man that's not even a Jew, becomes king of the Jews. And this is the world that Christ is born into. 400 years have passed without a word from the Lord. And I wonder, you know, this is such an important message to me, and I promise to keep this short. But I wonder how many of you identify with this. And, and how often I thought, man, I'm in love with this book. I'm in love with the Bible. But how much time has passed since Paul, since Peter, since these words? What has Satan done to religion since then? How many governments have seized control of religion and created Christ in the image of government? How many, how many churches have been formed? How many different gospels have been formed? How many strange ideas of who Christ is have been given birth in our minds since that time period? How corrupt has this become in our society and in our own lives? To the point that you have to ask yourself, do I really recognize what it is to wear the name Christ today? Do I really recognize what this is and feeling like you're in a period or in a time of darkness um, this is the close. I'm just going to share with you some of the closing verses of the book of Malachi. I'm going to actually, before I read chapter four, I'm just going to read chapter three a little bit. These are some of the last words of scripture that the Jews had received. How about this? See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you're seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire. Now, 
with prophecies like this. And there were about 420 prophecies in the Old Testament. Between Genesis 3.15 and Malachi 4, you have about 420 prophecies of this coming Christ. And if the picture that you didn't have the picture of a baby born in a manger, you didn't have a picture of a lamb necessarily or a crown of thorns, maybe you picked up on some of that from Isaiah 53 or somewhere, but mostly you saw prophecies like this. Who will endure the day of his coming? Fire. You know? You know, Jesus is going to say later in this book, I'm not going to comment too much on this verse now, but I loved this verse. I said, Jesus said this in the book of Luke, chapter 12, 49. I've come to bring fire on this earth, and I can't wait to light it. Jesus said that. And I was like, maybe he's talking about a fire of passion. Um, No, no. You read the context, you say, man, Jesus said that. This is the baby that was born in a marriage, the lamb that was, that was sent to die. What kind, of, what kind of prophet would you have pictured this coming Elijah to be? Who would this coming Christ be? And he comes and he shocks everybody. Malachi chapter 4, it says this, Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. That day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. See, this is verse 5 now of chapter 4. I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Um, this idea of, of the day of the Lord would be as the sun rising with healing in its wings. He uses this, this Hebrew word, kanaf, and the word wings just means rays. This idea of the, the sun rising, the rays hitting you and bringing life, bringing warmth, bringing something new and fresh. I don't know if, if you, you've ever spent the night out in the cold and the dark and you were just praying for the sun to rise. Um, I did that with some of these guys. You might have heard the story. We decided to go on a trip to Arrowhead Lake um, up in Rocky Mountain National Park, and Milt went, and uh, Joel went, and, and Brad, and a couple guys. We, we, we had a great time. Uh, it, it was rough, man. Um, I told, I told uh, Brad, I said, uh, man, bring an extra sleeping bag. Somebody might need an extra sleeping bag. When we were already halfway up the mountain, um, Brad said, who do you need this extra sleeping bag for? And I said, I meant bring it in your car in case somebody meant it. Now he had this extra sleeping bag with him. So we were making fun of him because he was having to carry all this extra gear. That night, we got stuck on top of the mountain in the rocks, freezing cold. I was praying all night for the sun to rise, and Brad's in there with two sleeping bags going, ah! <laughs> and... All night, and I was praying I wouldn't have to go to the bathroom. And when I did, Milt was laughing at me because I had to. It was the coldest night, and I just laid there awake most of the night saying, God, I just want the sun to rise. I want this to happen. Right? This is the image of the coming of Christ that was left in their minds. In 400 years saying, when the Messiah comes, it will be like the rising of the sun. Now, in Luke chapter 1, why don't you turn over there with me. 
Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 71, this is Zechariah's song. Luke is a book that's full of songs. It opens up with all these fa- uh, fancy Latin names, the Magnificat, the Benedictus, the Nuctimit, I can't even pronounce that one, Demitus. All of these songs that, that Mary sings, that Elizabeth sings, that Zechariah sings, that the angels sing, the angel that appears to her sings. You remember his name? Gabriel. Now, isn't it crazy that he's given a name? Now, why is Gabriel named? Because he's the one that set the prophecy in motion. It was Gabriel that appeared to Daniel in chapters 8 and 9. And this great prophecy that was going to say the coming of this great king is going to happen. And he's speaking to Daniel. And now he's the one that issues the prophecy. And now he's the one on the receiving end of the prophecy. I, Daniel, have now come to you. I'm the same one that stood before Dan- um, Gabriel. I'm the same one that stood before Daniel. And now I stand before you. Zechariah. I gave a sermon about Zechariah not so long ago. Um, and so I didn't want to focus too much on him today. But his song that he sings after he's been mute. And he, he was the first person. Think about this. Zechariah was the first person to ever receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before anyone, before Mary. He's the first person to receive the gospel. And he's turned mute and he can't even share it. He can't even talk. And now his mouth is opened. And he says this. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our fathers and remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies. To enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, my child will be called a prophet of the Most High, speaking of his son, John. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace, Uh, Just like Mary's song echoes Hannah's song. Um, You've probably, maybe you've looked at these two side by side. Everything Mary says is drawn right out of Hannah. And I've wondered why that is. And I think it's because Hannah was probably a hero of hers in scripture. She, She knew Hannah's prayer. And all of a sudden she's praying the same prayer in the same way Zechariah was left as a priest. He was left with this prophecy of a coming Messiah that would come as the sunrise with healing in its rays. And he echoes the same prophecy in his prayer, and he says, this is what's happening right here, right now. He's coming to shine on us and to give our our feet a path of peace. The reason this message is so important to me is I was was curious what this means to us. Um, 2,000 years removed... And living in a time where when Jesus said, to, said this to his disciples, right before he was about to leave them, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you. I will be with you. And we enjoy that. We enjoy the presence of his spirit as a, a part of his promise. But it says in Proverbs, the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter to the full light of day. We're told by Paul that we are not yet what we shall be. 
that we look forward to something else, to a Christ that will come and redeem our bodies. It says this in Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. It says in Romans 8, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. It says in Colossians 3, 2 through 4, set your minds, fix your thoughts, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. It says this in 1 Peter 1.19, We have the word of the prophets made more certain. This is so much like the opening of Luke. I'm looking back to the prophets and it's given me certainty about what's ahead. And you'll do well to pay attention to it. As to a light in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Um, All my life, and, and it's a healthy thing, but the Bible has been a history book to me. It's a history that I love. And I talk about Moses and what he meant and what that message meant to the people. You look at at Zechariah and you look at what the birth of Christ would mean to that nation and to those people. I'm thinking of Anna the prophetess in the temple who would go there day after day after day waiting for, and do you remember what she was waiting for? The consolation of Israel. Uh, And Simeon who would go to the temple and and he said, I can die now. I've seen the Christ. And he he was there and he went and he told this message. It said to everybody who was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Um, This idea of redemption, and we're going to pick up on this next week. A little girl, a young girl, taught me about this, this message, the greatest illustration I've ever seen. Her name was Courtney. And she was a girl in my youth group that um, would walk to church by herself um, every single day. I remember her walking in the rain. I will never forget the image of Courtney. She never, ever missed. She also never, ever participated. She sat in a back corner. Melinda remembers her well. Um, she was weird. And I'm not saying that to be mean. She's one of my heroes. She was weird. She sat in this back corner. She would make faces. She would, she would draw these horrible, this artwork that was really sick to me, these poems that were very dark. She'd always leave them for me. And I prayed a lot about Courtney. Um, her story became a very dark story. I was in the hospital with Courtney, talking to her about the value of life, uh, preserving her life. One morning I woke up and I saw what became... Um, an artwork that she, she started doing this artwork and it was hanging all over her school. Uh, she was a brilliant artist, but it was an old piece of plywood covered in shards of glass and rusty nails. This was her art. And sheets of paper that were hanging all over it that were nailed to the cardboard. And they used to have these dark poems about taking your life. 
And when her life was redeemed, she made one for me. And she left it on the window of my car. I thought somebody had really messed up my car when I walked out. And it has all of these church songs all over it. And I asked her about her artwork one day. And she goes, I went to the trash and and redeemed trash. And I wanted to turn what was completely worthless into art. Because that's what God has done in my life. And it became one of the most sacred things to me. And I lost it last year. I can't find it right now. But it became one of the most sacred things to me. And I said, that's what redemption is. Taking something that seems worthless. Taking a life that seems like trash. And the world calls trash. And you call it trash. And you feel like, I've ruined it all. And the day dawns. And Christ redeems it. And he turns something that was ugly into something beautiful. That's what he does in lives. Um, You're living in a period of darkness right now. And there's some in this room that know exactly what that feels like. Say, man, I remember there was a time in my life where I heard God's voice. There was a time in my life where I could come to church and I could sing songs and the tears would flow and and, and I I was there and I felt it and I knew it. There was a time when it was that way. But I haven't felt that in a long time. There's some of you that say, man, I, I haven't felt that since losing my friend since losing my husband, since losing my job, whatever happened in your life, a darkness that you were plunged into. And the story of redemption that happens over and over and over in Scripture, guys, that's not a history lesson. It's a life lesson. It's a promise that God makes to us today. And the beauty is this, the same joy that Zechariah felt in the presence of his Savior the same joy that Mary felt, that, that uh, Anna felt, that Simeon felt. Someday, um, I was thinking about this this morning, someday we're going to stand in that same presence with that same joy, with that same victory, with that same redemption in us. That is going to be something that we experience. And I praise God for that. And I pray that if you're in a dark place right now, and you're living in a place where you need the sun to rise and you need this, this promise of Second Peter 1, I pray that God accomplishes that in you. And if you'd allow me to, I just want to say a prayer over you uh, this morning. Let's go before him. My God, I just um, I want to come before you. I want to come before your presence. And um, God, I, I praise you for the freedom uh, in a time where I, we can meet in buildings and, and, and we can celebrate you and we can sing to you. And I, I, I thank you for so much. But at the same time, God, we live in a world of darkness and our minds can be very dark places. Satan doesn't sleep. Satan doesn't procrastinate. And evil is all around us and it's all within us. And Father, we live in a place of cold and dark. Our minds that used to be full of praise are robed with a spirit of cynicism and darkness. Um, A certainty in your presence sometimes um, just wanes, and it's just not not there. And I pray, Father, that this this message and this, this hope of Christ as a rising sun that would come with healing in its rays, I pray, God, that this won't simply be left um, on the pages of history. But God, you would renew this promise in our day, in our time, in our experience, and in our lives. And that, Father, we're living in a dark night that we'd look forward to the rising of the sun 
and that you would come for the redemption of your people, the redemption of our bodies. And I praise you that that hope is not a historical hope, but um, an actual hope that we possess today. I thank you for it, and I want you to bless. I pray that you would bless our missions. I pray that when we give, it won't be cold. It won't just be bullet lists and numbers, but we recognize what you're doing in lives throughout this world and in our own community. Arm us with that spirit. Arm us with a joyful message of hope. In the name of Christ, we come before you. Amen. Let's stand and worship our God.